Good evening. This is Justin Ford in the studio for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with the importance and power of Thanksgiving. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Dr. Hammond, what is the origin of the Thanksgiving holiday tradition? Now, officially, Thanksgiving is a federal holiday in the United States, celebrating it on the fourth Thursday of November. In other words, it'll be this coming 23rd of um, November. It's sometimes called American Thanksgiving outside of the United States to distinguish it from the Canadian holiday of Thanksgiving, which is the same name, but in very related celebrations. And there are a few other regions that practice it. But it originates a day of Thanksgiving and really a harvest festival with the theme of the holiday revolving around giving thanks and the centerpiece of Thanksgiving celebrations remaining a Thanksgiving dinner or feast. The first Thanksgiving in America was actually celebrated by the pilgrims at Plymouth for three days after their first harvest in 1621, which is somewhere between September and November of 1621. And it was after a particularly brutal winter, very cold. Many of the original pilgrims who had landed on the Mayflower had died of starvation or disease, and there were only 50 surviving pilgrims. They invited 90 Indians or Native Americans as guests, but um, the 50 surviving pilgrims who had arrived on the Mayflower uh, organized the first Thanksgiving then, uh, either September or November of 1621. And why should we, non-Americans, celebrate Thanksgiving? Well, it's a good, healthy, and biblical practice, and uh, probably one of the finest exports for America is the idea of Thanksgiving, quite aside from being uh, very therapeutic and healthy to look back on the year as we head into the Christmas season to think what do we have to be grateful for and to give thanks. And it's a good family tradition. It's a good national tradition. It's good for churches to have harvest festivals. So this is a good time of the year for us as we, in our part of the world, will be entering into spring. And uh, for us to be uh, starting the um, Christmas season with a Thanksgiving focus. Uh, what does the Bible say about the subject of Thanksgiving, Dr. Hammond? Well, the Bible says enormous amounts on it. There's 138 passages in the Bible at least that deal with the subject of Thanksgiving. Take 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So plainly, it's God's will for us to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. And they really go together. And there's just so much in the Bible dealing with the subject of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a major duty of us. In Psalm 92, verse 1 to 2, it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. So plainly, uh, we can see it's an emphasis in the Bible that we must give thanks. And the Lord Jesus told of a time when uh, he had healed 10 lepers. There were in Luke 17, 10 lepers healed by the Lord. Only one of them, a Samaritan, threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And the Lord asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where then are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And to be honest, in our experience, it's barely 10% of those that we help or sponsor will bother to express their gratitude, either verbally or in a letter or a card. So gratitude is evidently a rarity today, but it, it was somewhat of a rarity in our Lord's time as well. So to think the Lord could heal 10, but only one actually came back and actually thanked him. 
So plainly, ingratitude is a sin and giving thanks is a virtue. We're told in Psalm 100 verse 4, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter into his courts with praise. Give thanks to the Lord and praise his names. In Colossians 3.15 we're told, And the peace of Christ should rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Philippians 4 says, Do not worry about anything, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we shouldn't worry about anything, we should pray about everything, and we should pray with thanksgiving. And plainly, that is something very missing in the world today. Mm. Yeah, that leads me to the next question. Are we very much living in an age of entitlement when gratitude is rare, as you said? So, isn't Thanksgiving countercultural? It's very countercultural. It's also very therapeutic and, and um, refreshing. You just see how much in our society are burning, looting, um, vandalizing, littering. And what has it come from? Lack of gratitude. We don't like our schools, so we burn the schools down. Or we don't think our universities are good enough, so we burn the universities down. Uh, this attitude of, uh, we've got a problem with transports, and transport's not always on time, so burn out the trains, burn out the buses. Well, how's that going to help? But it's also lack of gratitude. This idea that you don't appreciate what you've been given, what previous generations have worked for and built up and maintained. And so litter, graffiti, vandalism, uh, the looting, the uh, burning, the arson, all of this just shows you how BLM and EFF and these other uh, crowds of professional agitators, they're ungrateful for what they've got, and they've got this sense of entitlement, and some think that by burning things down, you're going to get something better in the future, which is not only nonsensical and ridiculous, but that's the culture of today. I'm a good person. I deserve better. I'm entitled to this. Give me, give me, give me. It's arrogance, it's pride, um, it's greed, it's a whole lot of things, but ingratitude seems to be the soil in which all these evils manifest. So Thanksgiving is extremely countercultural. It goes against this mentality of entitlement, and that's why we need it. With cultural deterioration, economic depression and recession, so much corruption, crime and violence going on in the world, uh, many people in unemployed and the real prospect of a third world war. What do we have to be thankful for in times like these? Well, um, we can be thankful for some basic things like that we've got eyes to see and we've ears to hear and God has made a beautiful world even if we've messed it up. Just think of Fanny Crosby, the queen of gospel songwriters. She was born in 1820 of Puritan ancestry. She is a descent of the Mayflower settlers, of those who survived. But mustard treatment on an inflammation of her eyes led to damage of the optical nerves and led to lifelong blindness for Fanny. Despite being blind, Fanny Crosby became one of the most prolific hymn writers in history. She composed more than 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. More than 100 million copies of her hymns were printed in her lifetime. She's described as the mother of modern congregational singing in America. And Ira Sankey attributed the success of the D.L. Moody evangelistic campaigns largely to Fanny Crosby's hymns, including Pass Me Not, O Gentle Saviour, Blessed Assurance, To God Be the Glory, Praise Him, Praise Him, Rescue the Perishing, and so many other great hymns. She wrote, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank Him for this dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung the hymns to the praise of God if I'd been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. When I get to heaven, the first face that I shall see will be that of my Savior. 
And according to her biographer, Annie Willis, had it not been for affliction, she might uh, never have had so good an education or so great an influence, and certainly not so fine a memory. Fanny Crosby memorized five books of the Bible every week from age 10. And by age 15, she had memorized the four Gospels, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Book of Proverbs, and many of the Psalms. She learned to play the piano, the organ, the harp, and the guitar, became a good soprano singer, and in 1943, Fanny Crosby became the first person to speak to the United States Senate where she read a poem. Now, she is a vigorous campaigner for the Temperance Society's campaign against alcohol abuse, and she supported the American Female Guardian Society, the home for the friendless. And while Fanny Crosby is best known for her hymns, she was primarily a rescue mission worker in the inner city. And for decades, Fanny Crosby lived in the slum areas of Manhattan, such as Hell's Kitchen, the Bowery, and the Tenderloin, and as soon as she received payments for contributions for publications or concerts, she donated all her proceedings to missions to reach the poorest, the most needy people in society. As she quoted from Psalm 92, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Well, when I lead tour groups to the castle of Good Hope, it's most telling when I shut the door to the dungeon and I switch off the light. And immediately there's gasps, there's shouts, there's even screams from the people who are being exposed to complete darkness for not even a minute. Imagine living your entire life in complete darkness and silence. Well, that's what life was like for Helen Keller. Helen Keller was born in 1880 in Alabama and an illness took away her hearing and her sight when she was only 19 months old. With her family not being able to communicate with her, they viewed her as wild and uncontrollable. However, in 1887, Anne Sullivan became Helen Keller's teacher and threw fingerspelling W-A-T-R into Helen's hand while pumping water over her hand for her to feel, had a breakthrough which led to Helen to learn how to communicate and read with her fingers. At age 24, she graduated from Redcliffe College with a Bachelor in Arts degree and Helen became a tireless advocate for people with disabilities. She traveled to over 40 countries and she famously stated, deafness is a great affliction than blindness, which I wouldn't have necessarily thought. Helen Keller said, I've often thought it would be a blessing if every human being were struck blind and deaf for a few days for some time during the adult life. It would make them more appreciative of sight, of the blessings of sight and of the joys of sound. So Colossians tells us to give thanks to the Father who has justified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of God. So I think we can always appreciate the blessings of sight and sound and living in Cape Town surrounded by such wonderful nature, able to see sights like Table Mountain and to have the legs and health to climb these mountains. You know, when last did you thank God for your hands, your legs, your eyes, your ears, your sense, your sound, taste for music, for sunshine, for nature? for the birds that sing, for the wild animals, for the sea life, for the whales and the dolphins, for the eagles and the lions. I mean, have you thanked God for his mercy and grace and undeserved favor? Have you thanked God for his matchless blessings through regeneration and repentance and faith and adoption as a child of God? Have you thanked him for forgiveness and for the privilege of being a servant and a soldier? So you just think how much we've got to be grateful for. Even if we're living in a bad time, We've got a great debt to great reformers like Professor Martin Luther, who championed the great principles of freedom of conscience, freedom of worship, freedom of thought, freedom of calling us back to the Bible as the sole foundation for all truth and education. And so 
we can be grateful to reformers like Ulrich Zwingli, who dispensed with the Latin Mass and initiated biblical exposition to preach through every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, applying the Lord's Christ to all areas of life. If you have an English Bible, you can be grateful to William Tyndale, who gave his life being burnt to death for the crime of translating the Bible into English, that we can have the Bible available in our own language. Think of the people in India. They've got a tremendous debt of gratitude to missionary William Carey. He ended widow burning and the burning of lepers and the sacrifice of infants, and he pioneered the first schools for girls in Asia and the first Christian culture in all of Asia, and he translated the Bible and the New Testament and the Gospels into 35 languages. Now, we should all be grateful, particularly in Africa, for the missionary explorer Dr. David Livingston. He opened up Africa for the gospel and he exposed and campaigned to end the rampant Islamic slave trade. People in Nigeria can all be grateful to missionary Mary Slesser. She campaigned tirelessly to end the killing of twins and campaigned against the slave trade and against cannibalism and drunkenness. She pioneered for Christian schools and she planted churches in remote regions of Nigeria. I'm sure we can all be grateful to the Member of Parliament, William Wilberforce, who devoted his life to ending the slave trade and setting the captives free. And all of our lives have been enriched by the devotional writings of Andrew Murray and the biblical preaching of Charles Spurgeon. There's so many inventors and innovators whose life's work have made our lives richer and healthier. Just think of the many things we can be grateful for, such as electricity or plumbing and water, um, the inventions that make our lives easier, everything from glasses to, well, radio, which we're using now, uh, technology. There's so much that we have around to be grateful for. And I think if we would just look at history, uh, we'd find a lot to be grateful for. We'd just look around at nature. We've got lots to be grateful for. Mm, yeah. You've mentioned that there's an his historic aspect to Thanksgiving. Are there any other events or developments in history that you would like to point out that we should be thankful for? Yes, very much. Well, the Reformation and the Greatest Century of Missions has enriched and blessed all of our lives. There's also the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, the fall of the Iron Curtain, which occurred 34 years ago. Um, 1989 was a phenomenal year, most exciting year in my life, when we saw this symbol of the Cold War and where Christians were persecuted behind the Iron Curtain. And we had prayed and There'd been a tremendous focus, the seven-year Jericho prayer march, and the Berlin Wall came down, the Iron Curtain collapsed, and we remember that as, as a great event that changed our lives and changed history uh, in a positive way. And there's been many good positive events that we've been involved in, like in our mission, um, working for the independence of South Sudan and seeing in 2011 South Sudan break away from northern Islamic Sudan and be free and independent the opening up of all of Eastern Europe for the gospel and our mission, seeing Mozambique, Zambia, Angola open up for the gospel, closed countries that we ministered in back in the early 80s when we were in the middle of the Cold War and the high point of the Cold War, I should say. And so we've seen a lot of historic events that we can be particularly grateful for in our mission, that we could experience it, see it, and that we could see the answer to so many prayers. Ingratitude is listed as a sin. In the Bible, are we guilty of ingratitude? I would say so, very much so. And there's a, a tremendous passage in the Bible that lists many horrific evils. And uh, in Timothy, we read in um, 
1 Timothy 3 verse 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul gives a list of some of the most terrible sins, including people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, traitorous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its real power. So here, great ungratefulness, ingratitude is listed in the middle of a litany of terrible sins. And in Romans 1, we read that ingratitude is actually a root sin. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. So here, failure to give thanks to God is the root sin that leads to futile thinking and foolish, darkened hearts. When we look around our society today, we can see a lot of futile thinking, a lot of foolish, darkened hearts. But the Bible makes it clear that failure to give thanks to God is the root sin. That's what actually leads to all of these sins. How can we cultivate an attitude of gratitude? Well, there's a lot of things we can do to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And the one thing is, read the Psalms daily. The Psalms are full of gratitude to God. The middle book of the Bible, the prayer book of the Bible, the biggest book in the Bible, read the Psalms, pray the Psalms, sing hymns. The hymns are full of great um, hymns of gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord. So getting back into the habit of singing hymns and reading the Psalms on a daily basis, giving thanks before meals is a tradition. It's a habit. It's a good habit to thank God before meals. But there's so many other things we can thank God for too. So Putting into our uh, calendar Thanksgiving or Harvest Festival celebrations, making sure we have grace before meals, reading of the scriptures either before or after meals, have Bible before breakfast, scripture before supper, psalm before lunch, or scripture after the meal as is the practice in many homes. That's fine. The main thing is introduce scripture reading and giving thanks to God as part of our routine singing hymns. In our family, we've made it a practice that before um, opening presents on Christmas Eve, we first go around discussing what we're grateful for, what God has done for us this year, what we've learned, what uh, prayers have been answered this year. And so I think that is a wonderful thing. In our mission, we've also built into our routine reading of scripture, singing of hymns, and having a Thanksgiving meal each year when we particularly give focus on what do we have to be grateful for, what answers to prayer have we experienced this year. What have we learned and so on? I think those are good things to do. That all will cultivate an attitude of gratitude when we don't miss the opportunity to give thanks before a meal and to give thanks publicly. And some churches have testimony times where you can actually uh, share what God has done or how he's answered prayers. Some churches give this opportunity on a weekly basis. But if one can at least have a time once a year when one can give up and give public testimony of good things God has done, it's healthy. Um, when I've got to do annual reports or monthly reports or try to write uh, things to our supporters and to give feedback, it's very healthy to stop and say, what have I learned? What have we done? What has God provided? How has he protected us? How has he blessed? Uh, what um, progress can we report back on? And it often amazes one to look back and think, it's incredible how much God has provided, protected, guided, blessed. And so, yes, all of that will definitely help us to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Um, what do you think that 
the Frontline Fellowship uh, mission needs to be grateful for? Well, we can stop and look back 40 years. Now it's 41 years that we've been operating in the field. We've learned who our friends are. In fact, somebody said you never lose friends. You only learn who your real friends are. So we praise God for good friends who've been steadfast and allies and supporters for intercessors and for the protection, provision, and blessing of God. Um, and amongst the different uh, friends we've got out there, I think of World Missionary Press, who've been part of every mission we've ever done, um, providing their gospel booklets. That's been phenomenal. Gospel booklets, all scripture, compact, lightweight, powerful. And they have sent us millions of gospel booklets, literally, in one container. There can be 4,000 boxes, 2 million gospel booklets in one 40-foot container we get from World Ministry Press. They've shipped out to us many such containers. And I was told a few years ago that uh, World Ministry Press had provided me with 7 million gospel booklets, and that's, that's several years ago. So it's got to be well over 9 or 10 million by now because we've had several other containers since then. So World Missionary Press have provided a lot of the gospel literature, the spiritual ammunition we need in this fight. There's Eagle's Nest or Love packages that have sent us containers of Bibles and books. In fact, we're expecting another container right now, one just docked in the harbor yesterday with a container from them. And they sent Sunday school materials, books, Bibles, lots of great resources that we distribute free throughout Africa. We think of Kwasi Sabanta Mission, such good friends, such an inspiration their youth conferences, their ministers' conferences, their uh, ministry throughout the years, and they've often been our best and most loyal friends, and uh, they've been the ones who've, when we've needed help, they've come, they've helped, whatever, whether it's offloading containers, whether it's um, helping us with practical arrangements, um, uh, how they've cared for us in so many different ways. So thank God for good friends, and uh, in our Thanksgiving for 40 years of God's grace and guidance, provision, protection, frontline newsletter. I particularly gave thanks for Anthony Duncan, our missionary who was who died in the service of Christ after successfully smuggling a ton of Bibles and medicines into Angola during the uh, san sanctions on Angola when the United Nations had put a, a no travel restrictions on Angola and we were taking the only medicines and Bibles they could get. Anthony was part of the team. He succeeded in smuggling the Bibles and medicines into Sinan, uh, into Angola, and on the way back died in a head-on collision. Uh, that's after the team was ambushed, after the team was imprisoned, and all the dramas there. We're grateful for Doc Watson, my first pastor, um, pastor of Pounds Baptist Church, who became the chairman of the board of Frontline Fellowship for many years. For 16 years, he was our chairman of the board, a wonderful pastor, and uh, he had worked for Script Union, um, he was an accountant and he guided our mission a lot in the early days. I think it was Doc Watson's firm hand that helped us have good financial record system that enabled us to survive the interrogations or the investigations by the Revenue Service. After I marched 30,000 people to protest against Mandela's paganization of the country and uh, legalization of abortion, pornography and so many other evils. And... Uh, after meeting with Nelson Mandela and confronting him and challenging him and praying for him against his protest, um, he sent the revenue service to our door the next Monday. So we marched on Tuesday, met with Mandela on Thursday. Monday morning, the Inland Revenue Service uh, knocked on our door and they started a very long, 
audit. They went back six years, which was as long as they could go back. And then they audited us for seven years. So we had a 13-year audit. And the reason why they couldn't find anything wrong with us, our finances is to a large extent to the credit of Doc Watson, our first chairman of the board. He kept his chartered accountancy up to the end of his days. Francis Grimm is the missionary I was mentored under, the founder of Hospital Christian Fellowship. He said more people pass through the hospitals of the world than through the churches. And when you're in hospital, God has your attention and you look in the right direction. And uh, Francis Grimm uh, was my mentor who taught me how to pray and taught me how to live by faith. And for that reason, I dedicated my book, In the Killing Fields of Mozambique, to Francis Grimm. And at Baptist Theological Seminary, it was uh, Professor Fritz House who most challenged me and uh, uh, he taught. He was the Old Testament professor. He was a God-fearing, dedicated Christian missionary and uh, a veteran of the Second World War. He had led Bible studies and prayer meetings in North Africa as part of Rommel's Africa Corps. And for over 60 years, he planted churches throughout South Africa. Fritz House introduced me to the doctrines of the Reformation and to the Christology of the Old Testament. And that's why I dedicated my Old Testament survey book to Fritz House. We're also extremely grateful for Mrs. Dorothea Scarborough, who had been a missionary with the London Missionary Society in the Gilbert Islands and the Pacific uh, Ocean. She is the founder of Gospel Defence League and a very steadfast member and long-standing board member of Frontline Fellowship for 39 years. Her wise counsel and insights were invaluable for our mission. Our best friend over the years has certainly been Reverend Erlo Stegan, been a tremendous inspiration and example of dedication and devotion, our very best friends, and... We just praise God for his abundant grace that he's poured out through the multitude of ministries that continue to flow from the extraordinary mission in KwaZulu. And so the editions of my book, Putting Feet to Your Faith, were dedicated to Erlo Stegen. That's one great thing as a writer. You have the opportunity to dedicate books to people. And that's one way of me being able to give thanks to people who've meant a lot in my life, such as Reverend Bill Bathman. Um, I have done more ministry with Bill Bathman than anyone else, and I've traveled in more countries uh, with Bill Bathman and everyone else, 27 countries. He said he hadn't traveled to anywhere with anyone as often as he had with me either. So we ministered together in Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Poland, Hungary, Czech and Slovakia, Yugoslavia, Croatia, Romania, Bulgaria, Albania, throughout North America and Mexico, and Southwest Africa, South Africa, Namibia, Angola, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Kenya and Sudan. Bill Bathman served as chairman of our board for 14 years, and more than anyone else, Bill Bathman invested into this mission. He is the most active board member. He invested his time, his talents, his treasure. He's the most active board member, involved in our camps, our courses, teaching, counseling, strategy, street evangelism even, raising funds for vehicles, organizing speaking and itineraries, open-air preaching, and missions across the border. Even after he... I turned 70 and he was, had been in the ministry for 50 years. I took him over to Sudan, to the war zone, and his uh, daughter, my wife, was not very impressed that I was taking a, grand, a great-grandfather into the mission field in the 70s. Uh, but Bill Bathman was so inspired, he bought a land cruiser when he came back here and drove overland uh, with a trailer of ours all the way to Sudan to donate that vehicle with all the contents to the church in Sudan and flew back. So it wasn't enough for him to fly into Sudan. He had to drive all the way there, Africa overland as well. And uh, that's why um, his daughter, Lenora, dedicated her entire inheritance into building the Livingston House Upper Room Extension. 
And uh, that's why we named it after the Bathman's, the Upper Room Bathman Memorial Hall. It's a testimony to how much he had done in um, investing in this mission. So we've got a lot to be grateful for, people who've invested in our lives. Dr. R.C. Sproul, um, one of the greatest Christian theologians and apologists of the 20th century, greatly enriched our ministry. And Dr. R.C. Sproul responded to my challenge after coming back from Europe. At one point I said, Dr. Sproul, we're heading towards 2017, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. We need a Reformation study Bible. And he not only produced a Reformation study Bible, he donated 2,000 copies of this Reformation study Bible to us to distribute to college libraries and pastors and missionaries throughout Africa. So I dedicate the second edition of the Greatest Century of Mission book to Dr. R.C. Sproul. I must say one of the most terrifying things in my life was preaching from Dr. R.C. Sproul's pulpit with him sitting in the front row. And another terrifying privilege was preaching in the pulpit of Coleridge Presbyterian Church um, with Dr. James Kendi sitting right there. And Dr. James Kendi was a faithful friend, board member of Frontline Fellowship. His evangelism explosion has been a key part of our mission for the last 40-odd years. I learned about his vision uh, early on as a brand new Christian. My first year as a Christian, I went to an EE clinic, Evangelism Explosion, and saw the film Like a Mighty Army, and that introduced me to Dr. James Kendi, who later had me on his radio and TV programs and in his pulpit, and uh, as a guest speaker regularly. And uh, Dr. James Kendi donated thousands of books to our mission, starting in fact, the whole vision for our literature for Africa ministry, because he donated a lot of his books to us, and he wrote recommendations for several of my books, like Faith Under Fire and Sudan and Biblical Principles for Africa, Character Assassins, Dealing with Ecclesiastical Tyrants and Terrorists, and The Greatest Century of Reformation. He wrote forwards for all of those books and recommendations for them. So we're very grateful for uh, Dr. James Kendi. I should also say Dr. David Noble of Summit Ministries and the Christian Anti-Communism Crusade, he first encouraged me to come to the United States after my release from prison in Zambia in 1987. And David Noble made me a regular guest speaker at Summit Ministries for 25 years. His book, Understand the Times, and his Battle for Truth books became textbooks for our Biblical Worldview Summits throughout Africa. And he donated many of his books to us for us to donate to people all over Africa. And so his books are in libraries across Africa and many Bible cultures and universities. And his son, Brent Noble, um, made a tremendous impact on us as well. Brent Noble was blind for most of his life. Brent Noble actually was a blinded. <coughs> um, later in his life, he was 21 when he lost his sight um, uh, because of some experimental laser surgery. You couldn't bring a laser in your eyes. I can't even get it. I drops in my eyes. Um, they're so sensitive. But Brent Noble is a living testimony of perseverance and endurance under very terribly adverse circumstances. And uh, here's a man who could not see, uh, but he had such vision uh, that he mobilized more funding for our mission than probably we've gotten from all other sources combined. Over the years, he persuaded students at some ministries to donate from their personal Money, money that they would have spent on Starbucks, coffee, and so on for Bibles for Frontline Fellowship to deliver to Sudan. And Brent Noble, his favorite hymn was Amazing Grace, and he would have people singing it regularly. I once was blind, but now I see. And he said he's looking forward to the fact that the first person he would see when he in eternity would be the Lord. And so here's Brent Noble. He couldn't see, 
Um, but he had the vision to raise money for us to take the Jesus form to show all over Sudan and uh, to get Christian flags and Bibles for people. So what he couldn't benefit from, he dedicated his life to raising f- funds for others. Now, it's amazing to find somebody who's blind, and yet he's the person people go to to find out, how do you spell this? And, you know, people go up to him, you know, how do you spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious or whatever? And their Brent would give it all. Then how do you get to this place in town? He'd give directions. And we'd say, well, Brent, how can you give directions to something when you're blind? And he said, well, I wasn't always blind. And, of course, when, you, when you're blind, your other senses have to compensate. So he'd be the one who'd give guidance. And I remember at one point I was going to get my Glock 9mm from a, a gun shop in town in Colorado Springs. And so, you know, he's directing, you know, turn left here and turn right there. And, and sure enough, he guided us accurately to the gun shop. So we go into this, uh, in fact, it was quite a funny place. Um, there's some, it was on a farm and, First, you see a, a shot-up um, wreck of a car on one side, and it's got, um, he asked too many questions. Another one, they were from the IRS and uh, things like this. And so there's, um, as you head up the place, and there's mannequins uh, shot up, and they, they had 50 cal machine gun scenes that they'd sometimes shoot up these cars. So you get in, and there's a double fence around the place, and it's got some Dobermans running around, and he says, uh, these dogs have rabies and they haven't been fed or something like that. And so there's all kinds of signs. So we get inside, uh, choose the guns. And so when a person learns I'm from South Africa, he says, sorry, we can't sell guns to, to South Africans. That's sanctions was before 1994. So, okay. So Brent, who's blind, he says, can I have a look at that? So he feels his gun there. What's it costing? Next thing he buys it. And, uh, you know, he signed there and so on. And then as we walked out, he handed it to me. So, um, Interesting, it was less than four minutes uh, paperwork for me to get my gun in Colorado. It took four months to get the paperwork for and the license here in South Africa to get imported here. But, uh, you know, what were they thinking? Um, the South African there wants to buy this weapon and his blind friend buys it instead. You know, what do they think is going to happen? But anyway, that's just some funny things. But there's Brent Noble, who's blind, but he's a cheerful chap. And he had a lovely blind dog or that's a stupid term. I shouldn't call them blind dogs. They're seeing eye dogs, guide dogs, a guide dog. I mean, the dog's not blind. And uh, so his dog was so intelligent. In fact, I think his dog was more intelligent than I was. So uh, at one point when he left his guide dog behind and he had me as his guide, um, I was walking him along to this event. And uh, next thing, whack, he hits his head on a low um, branch. Um, and, you know, I wasn't intelligent enough or as well-trained as a dog, to be thinking for this person next to me. And, you know, you think, there's this dog. He's so much shorter, and he's got to guide away the person he's guiding away from low-hanging branches or something that would whack them. The dog wouldn't have made the mistake like that, but I did. And here's this poor chap, you know, blood coming from his forehead, and like, no, no, it's no problem. And, And I'm feeling such a failure and such a fool that I couldn't be as effective as a guide dog you know, we look down on some of these dogs, but some of these dogs are so thoughtful and intelligent. They warn the person they're guiding when there's a step in front or a step above. They they, they stop and they, they restrain them in such a way that they can even warn them about something like, there's a step here going up or down. And these dogs are so intelligent and so wise. But sometimes I even went to shooting range with Brent. And so we'd go through combat shooting ranges where, you know, you're working to clear a house and room. And you've got to, of course, guide them, you know. Uh, target uh, two o'clock high or 
three o'clock low and so on, and, and he would be um, work his way through. And, and we'd literally do target shooting together. And so here's a blind person who was rejoicing and uh, who was doing more to help the persecuted church in Sudan than anyone else. He certainly was the most effective fundraiser we ever had that enabled the biggest shipments we ever did of Bibles being printed in Singapore and uh, shipments of Bibles being taken in Sudan that I could hire even massive aircraft DC-3s going in to deliver the biggest shipments of Bibles ever delivered behind uh, into Muslim uh, world. We managed to smuggle in vast amounts and so most of that was thanks to Brent Noble. So there's a lot we've got to be grateful for, but I think a blind person like that is a testimony to all of us. And I've got another testimony. I think of this Nuba evangelist in Sudan I met. Some might have seen a picture in my books um, of this uh, Nuba evangelist without feet. Now, the Bible says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Well, this brother doesn't have any feet, but he has not allowed the inconvenience of not having feet to prevent him from reaching, blessing, and benefiting his neighbors and even his enemies with the gospel of Christ. So what excuse do we have? This man, he had both his feet axed off at the ankles by malicious Muslims, but he continued to walk on his knees or ride on a donkey to evangelize his neighbors. And some people could go onto our website or go into some of my books like Faith Under Fine Sudan or Behind Enemy Lines for Christ and see a picture of this evangelist without feet sitting on the back of a donkey. And, you know, what excuse do we have not to go out and take the gospel to people? If people without feet and people without eyes are able to do so much. And in your personal life, you've gone through much grief and loss in recent years. What are you grateful for in that regard? Well, I can be grateful for 32 years of marriage to Laura before she succumbed to her 11-year battle with cancer. And we have four children and three grandsons to show for it. And uh, lots of quilts, beautiful gardens, and the whole upper room of the mission factory decorated so much. The garden around Livingston House is a tribute to Laura, the um, Eastway Garden as well, where we live. Um, our upper room is completely a tribute to her generosity. For her to take her entire inheritance from her parents and put it all into the mission and to see that we had the expansion we need. So the upper room, which includes the studio we're in, the guest rooms, the board, the dormitories, um, the extra kitchenette, the upper room multi-purpose hall, all her work. Uh, not to mention changing of uh, renovating of the whole kitchen area that was done. So all around I see reminders of what Lenora achieved in her life, and there's so much to be grateful for. We've just been celebrating her life at different events this last week. Uh, my daughter organised a um, memorial meal on the anniversary on my wife's birthday. She would have been 63 this year, and we were out at the gravesite the week before on the anniversary of her death, the 9th of November, which was the day that the Berlin Wall came down, the greatest year in our life. We got married in 1989, smuggled Bibles with her parents behind Iron Curtain and uh, ministered behind Iron Curtain with the people there. And then uh, later on that year, we saw one after the other of every East Europe dictatorship topple with the Berlin Wall coming down 9th of November. Phenomenal year. Romania's dictatorship being toppled in on Christmas Day, 1989. There's a lot for us to be grateful for. And so um, I look back and I, I think, well, there's so much that we can be grateful for. And when I was um, caring for my wife at home, 
um, she didn't complain. Eleven years of cancer, lots of pain, lots of discomfort and problems and chemo and all these other horrible things. She didn't complain. And at one point, I said to her, it's just so unfair. And she said, why? Why should I be exempt from the problems other people have? And so um, she even said, I'm a wicked sinner saved by the grace of God alone. Um, why should I be exempt from sufferings that everyone else has to go through? So she didn't complain. In fact, she was full of gratitude in the last days for what had been done for her. And her last words were words of gratitude, especially that she'd been allowed to live long enough to see her grandchildren. So yeah, there's lots still to be grateful for. Hmm. And how can an attitude of gratitude empower us today? Well, there's no doubt negative people are chained to the past, chained to past failures, either failures of theirs or failures of other people or perceived failures. But negative people are, are chained to failure. And uh, positive people are inspired by the future and positive people are grateful people. There's no doubt that an attitude of gratitude empowers you. It makes you more positive. It makes you more capable of achieving things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So there's no doubt that an attitude of gratitude and a positive attitude will empower you to achieve far, far more than people who complainers, gripers, who've got an attitude of entitlement and are always complaining and, and uh, blaming others. Um, so negative people uh, are are disempowering themselves, they're training themselves, whereas positive people and people who are grateful will be empowered. Also, positive people and grateful people are people that you would more want to be around. So a grateful person will find that they've got a lot more friends than a complaining negative person who's continually uh, whining about things. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Hammond. Um, we're thankful for our listeners, and I'm sure the listeners are thankful for your uh, regular uh, broadcasts. Um, in closing, uh, we'd like to read um, from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.